Father, we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that you would open our ears to hear your word and our hearts, that we may believe in your Son, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I do want to thank you once again for inviting me to be with you. I, I love coming here. The hospitality is incredible. The fellowship is, is very encouraging and stimulating to me, and, and it's, it's always sad to say goodbye. So thank you for, for having me here. I, I want us to read this morning from Isaiah chapter 7, and uh, we'll begin in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram had delighted itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Yashuv, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Syria. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reality is pretty tough, isn't it? It would be nice if we could live in a dream world. Uh, Woody Allen said it this way. He said, I've come to face the fact that I hate reality. The problem is it's the only place you can go to get a good steak dinner. <laughs> now, if you know anything about Woody Allen, you know where he, he goes with that. He goes into existentialism and ultimately nihilism where he doesn't believe in anything, but he just tries to distract himself. And the question is, when we come into the church, when we come into worship, when we come in to read the scriptures, are we leaving reality and entering into a fantasy, or is this something that will actually change us? Is this something that is actually true and happening and real? In Anglican New Testament, scholars said that Christianity is not a dream. It's not a moment of escapism. Either Jesus is the Lord of the world, and all reality makes sense in his light, or he is dangerously irrelevant to the problems and possibilities of today's world. 
There's no middle ground. Either Jesus was and is the word of God, or he and the stories Christians tell about him are lies. So is what we're doing, does it, does it matter? We're, we're going to talk about faith this morning, and, and we'll get into that in a second. But, but I want to say that many times people come into church, and even though they go to church, they still continue to live by their own action, by their own works, to trust in things other than God. I don't know if any of you saw Catch Me If You Can, but there's a great scene in that movie where Leonardo DiCaprio, who plays Frank Abagnale Jr., has fled Atlanta where he was pretending to be a doctor. He comes and he pretends to be a lawyer in Louisiana and he meets the uh, parents of this girl that he's, he's become engaged to. And she says, he's a doctor and a lawyer and a Lutheran. <laughs> so they sit down, and at dinner the father says, well, why don't you pray for us? Well, he doesn't know how to pray. He's never prayed. And so he prays this story that his dad used to tell him, and he says, two little mice, he actually asked him to say grace, which is significant, because grace is recognizing that this is a gift from God. He says, two little mice fell into a bucket of cream. The first mice, mouse quickly gave up and drowned. But the second mouse, he struggled so hard that he eventually turned that cream into butter, and he walked out. Amen. (laughs) And the whole family says, Amen. And and the mom says, Oh, that was so beautiful. The mouse, he turned that cream into butter. (laughs) Now, it's ironic. It's not Lutheran prayer at all, right? There's nothing about the grace of God. It's all about what we do. Uh, And yet, so many people who go to church every week would think, yeah, that's the gospel. Yeah, we just need to keep turning that cream into butter and everything will be okay. Faith has a bad reputation, doesn't it? Nietzsche said that you can just walk down the halls of an insane asylum and you know that faith means nothing. You know that faith doesn't prove anything. In another place he said faith is believing what you know is not true. Or Mark Twain said, if faith is believing what you know ain't so. What I want to say to you this morning is every single person in the world lives by faith. Not faith in God. But everyone lives by faith. It is impossible to live apart from trusting something. What is faith? You know, Faith isn't just looked at as believing in crazy things. To quote Woody Allen again, in his movie Manhattan, he's met this girl and he's kind of mocking belief in God. And so her response to him is, hey, listen, I don't even want to have this conversation. I mean, I'm just from Philadelphia. You know, we believe in God. In other words, you're from New York City, you're sophisticated and intelligent, but I'm from Philadelphia, so I believe in God. Or we might say, I'm from Birmingham, right? I believe in God. And, and, but it's looked at is you're less intelligent, there's something wrong. But actually faith is ever present. What is faith? You know, the classic definition that you've heard if you've been around a church at all is, is take a chair. You have to know that chair is there. You have to believe that it will hold you up. But ultimately it's really faith when you trust the chair. When you sit in the chair. And this tells us, this is how you determine the validity of faith. Because if it's a bad chair, it breaks. If it's a good chair, it holds you up. You see, I'm going to fly back to Chicago this afternoon. And when I get on that plane, I'm trusting that engineers have checked that thing, that they've put my luggage on it, that the pilot is awake and is going to do a good job. I'm trusting 
in a lot of different things. I'm having faith in a lot of different things. If you go to have surgery, you don't just walk in and have surgery. You check out, did they actually go to medical school? Have they killed the last 15 people on the operating table? If so, then stay away. If not, then entrust yourself to them. You see, the object of our faith is what determines the validity of our faith. So, an illustration I like to use is ice. Let's say I'm in Chicago this winter and it's been a great winter. It's been mild, it's almost spring-like. But let's say I see a covering of ice on a pond and I go running toward it because usually, you know, March in Chicago, that ice is going to hold me up. I go running out, but it's only a millimeter of ice. But I believe with my whole heart it will hold me up. What's going to happen to me? I'm sinking to the bottom. So let's say next winter, it's been below zero for months, (laughs) when... It's frozen a foot of ice. But I've had bad experiences with ice before, remember? (laughs) So I I can't really trust myself to that ice. In fact, I have more unbelief in my heart than belief. I really don't think it will hold me up. But I get right up to the edge and I say, okay, I don't think it's going to hold me, but I'm going to try. And I put my foot out on it. I have more unbelief in my heart than belief. But I have a mustard seed of faith, just enough to step on it. Does it hold me up? Absolutely. It's a foot of ice. You see, it's not the strength of my faith, it's the validity of what I'm trusting in. You trust in your car when you drive. My first car in the early 1980s was a 1973 AMC Gremlin. Now, some of you are too young to know what this is, but John Stewart says the Gremlin was made as birth control for young teenage boys... And to help the pacer feel better about itself. (laughs) It was not worthy of my trust. I never knew when it was going to work. You see, all of us live by faith in everyday situations. And all of us are trusting. And some of you are thinking, okay, cars, surgeons, planes, whatever. Well, let me read you. Someone has written a Western confession of faith. You know, we have the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that the Catholic Church throughout the world confesses together. And the Apostles' Creed is structured where we say we believe in God the Father Almighty, then we say we believe in His Son, we believe in the Spirit, and of course through the Spirit we receive the Church and forgiveness, all these different things. So here's the Western Confession of Faith. I believe in science almighty. I believe in the power of human reason, disciplined by the scientific method, to understand, control, and change our world. I believe in technology and a rational society. Science Almighty's only begotten sons, which have the power to renew our world. I believe in the spirit of progress. I believe that a science-based technology and a rationally organized society will enable me to realize my ultimate goal, freedom, happiness, and the comforts of material abundance. I believe in economism. I believe that the abundance of consumer goods and the leisure time to consume them will make me happy. To this I commit myself with all my money, time, energy, and resources. Amen. I don't know if you got all that, but that's the world around us. In fact, that's what we believe. Many times during the week, that's our confession of faith. And it's only when we come back to church that we remember, oh yeah, God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where my faith is. That's where trust is. So, what does this passage have to say to us? Now, I know that most of you are not scholars in ancient Near Eastern history. 
And so reading through the list of Pekah and Rezin and Remaliah and all these different names getting thrown at you, I'm sure it was kind of like just words flying by. So essentially you have the southern kingdom, Judah, is being attacked by two countries above it that are allying themselves together. The northern kingdom, Israel, and Syria. And so the king of Judah, who's supposed to trust God, decides he can't beat these two powers, so he's going to ally himself with the evil to the east, the northeast, Assyria. Here's a way to think about it. I'm in Alabama, I'll talk football, but I'm staying away from Alabama and Auburn. Mountain Brook High School finds out that it has to play Vanderbilt and Tennessee together. Now, some of you laugh at Vanderbilt, but it's still an SEC team, and it's a good thing. <laughs> and so they, it finds out, Mountain Brook has, realizes we have no shot to beat these two teams. So we're going to go to the evil of the Northeast, those New England Patriots, Little Evil Bill, their coach. We're going to go get ally ourselves with the New England Patriots, because the New England Patriots will whip Tennessee and Vanderbilt. But what happens is when you come to game day, you find out the Patriots already played Vanderbilt and Tennessee and whipped them, and now it's Mountain Brook versus New England. <laughs> That's what's going on here. You see, the king is being called to trust that God would save him, that God would deliver his people, as he has promised to do. But the king does not want to trust God. He wants to trust Assyria. He wants to trust the power that he knows. And you see, this is like us. Do we really trust God with our children? Do we really trust God with our lives? We, we know money. And so often, that's where we put our focus, because we think if we just put away enough, if we just keep enough to ourselves, then our family will be safe. But as we go through life, we find out money can't solve all the problems we face. In fact, sometimes money causes more problems. And so we're faced with these same decisions that Ahaz was faced with. And so in the midst of this comes the great prophecy of Emmanuel. And there's a whole lot to say about that that I don't have time to say. But we'll say this. If you've been around the church, you know that Emmanuel means God with us. Now what is new about that? What, what is God actually saying? You see, God had always been with his people, Israel. He was with Abraham. He was with Moses. And so sometimes we move forward and we see that the ultimate fulfillment of this is obviously in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it's not just God with us, it's God with us as one of us. And that is hugely significant. The incarnation is at the core of our faith. If God the Son had not become one of us, then He couldn't have lived and died in our place and been raised for us. But actually, Emmanuel means more. And it comes straight out of this context. And it is that God is with us as one of us to defend us. You see, the trust that Ahaz is supposed to show is I'm not going to ally myself with Assyria even though I'm afraid of Syria and Israel, I'm not going to ally myself with the enemy because God is with us. That's the faith they has is supposed to profess. And we see, if you, if you read forward in, in Isaiah in chapter 8, 
Its outspread rings will cover the breadth of your land. O Emmanuel, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For Emmanuel. And that's why Matthew... When he says Gabriel came to Joseph and said that you're going to call Mary's son Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and immediately he says this is the fulfillment of this great prophecy. Because God has come in flesh to defend us, to save us. You see, this is why we we talked yesterday about how Peter couldn't understand why suffering had to come before glory. And that's because Peter thought the real enemy was Rome. The real enemy was the oppressor. And he didn't recognize that the oppression, actually the worst oppressor was sin within. And Satan outside and death ultimately, those were the great enemies. And yes, Rome was bad, Rome was horrible, but they weren't the great enemies. The real enemy lies within each one of us. I've told you before about the uh, kudzu cartoon where the guy said, the pastor's kneeling by his bed and he says, Lord, please send a swarm of locusts against my worst enemy. And so the next frame of the comic strip, there's a swarm of locusts around him. So the last frame of the strip, you see a little finger coming out of the swarm of locusts saying, let me rephrase that. You see, we think the problems are out there, but Jesus says, no, whatever our problems are, they come from our heart. And that's why Jesus came to live and die and be raised. And so this morning, the question is, where is your faith? And I want you to hear, sometimes we read the scriptures and we think it's a fantasy world. This isn't fantasy. This is the God of the universe has come in flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. He has come to live and die and be raised for you. And there's, so there's no sin too great. There's no shame so profound. There's no failure so difficult that God cannot redeem you from it. Through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And, and often, I love what Seinfeld says that, you know, the problem he has with cooking shows is that they, they at the end of the show, I'll read it so I don't give you the Latimer translation. He says, I, I will never understand why they cook on TV. I can't smell it. I can't eat it. I can't taste it. Now, this is back in the 90s before all the cooking shows, which is really funny. Um, the end of the show, they hold it up to the camera and they say, well, here it is. You can't have any. Thanks for watching. Goodbye. (laughs) And you know what? We come to the scriptures and we think the same thing. We think, wow, wouldn't it be great if that could be true for me? Wouldn't it be great if I could have faith like the scriptures talk about? Wouldn't it be great if God would do that for me? I want you to hear this morning. That God sent his son for you. This is for you, Emmanuel, God with you. Corporately as a church, individually as a person, Christ is here for you. He doesn't come to take you out of distress. He is present with you in your distress in the fallen world. But he is here for you as one of us to defend us. So let us... Take our faith off of ourselves, off of our works. Let us enter back into reality where the only hope of salvation comes from God himself. Let's pray that God would do that. Father.
We confess that we trust so many things other than you. We trust our good works. We trust our money. We trust our parents. We trust our heritage. We trust our job. We trust our families. We, we go anywhere but to you. We pray by your grace. You would lift our eyes up to see the beauty of our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, as one of us to defend us, that our trust would be in him. Father, we need you. We need each other. We need your spirit so that we can do this. So we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now God's benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen.